fellow saints and followers of God, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. It's good to see you. I forget because I was here last week, but I haven't preached in three weeks. My family and I were in Spain for two weeks. Uh, my uh, wife was able to meet my grandmother and my aunts and my uncles and my cousins all out there. So it was great. Um, her favorite meal out there out of all the great restaurants and Michelin star restaurants like Northern Spain is known for its food and her favorite restaurant in Spain, write this down, Five Guys. <laughs> the burger, just amazing. You guys got to try it. You got to fly all the way there to try it. The burger and the fries. Oh my goodness. Hey, would you stand with me, church? It's good to be with you. God is on the throne this morning. Jesus is alive. Let me say that again. Jesus is alive. We're not, in a, we're not a church and we're not a people that is here to celebrate somebody that isn't a grave or a tomb in Israel. Uh, we are a people that like the early church uh, that got persecuted. You know why the early church got persecuted? Because they believed that there was a man, a Jewish man that was raised from the dead. That's what they believed. And they were telling everybody about it and the Romans had a big issue with it. So we here are a church that believe that Jesus is not in the grave. He is not in the tomb, but he is alive sitting at the right hand of God the Father. It is this belief that defines us and makes us uh, a, a church, right? The ecclesia is the word, the called out ones from darkness. That's why we're a church, because Jesus established a church 2,000 years ago. And we are here coming together, all of us from different walks of life, because we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, and that he lived a perfect life died on the cross for each and every one of us so that we could have peace with God. And it's only through the work that Jesus has done on the cross that we can have peace with God, have our sins washed past, present, and future, and have an eternity that is secured for us by the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's the type of, it's just important for you to know what type of church we are. I just, I want you to be reminded. Yesterday, I was with my father. We flew down to Texas, Dallas, Texas in the morning and flew back in the, at the night in the last flight. We were visiting um, the Pagan family. Many of you guys know the Pagan family. They were here for 20 years. New Life is still their family, still their church. But the, uh, uh, Mike and Maria and the whole Pagan family, they lost their 30-year-old son, uh, Matthew, uh, just within the last two weeks. To COVID. He had COVID with pneumonia, 30 years old, and passed away from it. So me and my father flew down, drove, did the funeral with them. And let me tell you, we passed on our blessing, our love, our condolences from this church to them. And they were so, 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 so thank you. I know so many of you have reached out to them and just sent your word of, uh, of love to them and encouragement to them. So continue to pray for them. Well, today we're going to pray before we dive in for them, but also for us. And every time that I'm at a funeral and I stand in a church with a casket in front of me, whether it's open or closed, I'm reminded of the fact that each of us will one day die. 
As grim as that may be that each and every one of us, whether it's the time that we think is appropriate or not, death will come for each and every one of us. And it's a reminder to me, and it's what I say at every funeral as I look out at people with tears in their eyes, I remind people that life is short and you're not promised tomorrow. Matthew didn't think 30 years old would be the time that he would go. You're not promised tomorrow. And so we need to make sure we get our relationships right with others. So many people show up and see someone in a casket and think I should have said something when they were alive. And the second and most important thing is we need to get our lives right with Jesus. And Jesus has made a way for us to find peace and have peace with God when we put our faith and trust, not in what we can do, because we couldn't earn salvation, but in what Jesus has done on the cross. And so church, as we pray together, we know that these words are not empty and they don't, they don't just float in a room and dissipate, but they go to the one who hears our prayers. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge that you are holy. We worship you, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And Father, as we think of the Pagan family this morning, that's our family. We pray for them in this moment, God, as we know that grief comes in waves. It's but a smell. It's about looking at something. It's about driving somewhere and you see something and it just floods emotions into your life. But Father, we pray that we would surround them in this time and encourage them with words. Father, we pray that you would lift up their broken spirits and give them the strength to push on day by day as their hearts are burdened with grief. Father, we pray that they would have hope in the middle of all this grief, knowing that Matthew was a follower of you and that one day again they will see him in paradise. And Lord Jesus, we pray. I pray to everybody who's here today, who hears the words that are coming through this microphone this morning. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to know you more today that we would understand your word, your scripture, and it would be life to our bones, life to our bodies. It would correct thoughts in our mind that are not from you because Lord Jesus, we wanna live for you. You gave everything for us and we wanna live for you. And so we pray this knowing that you hear our prayers and that prayers according to your scriptures are powerful and effective. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, as you take your seat, look around to somebody, say hi to them, make sure they know who you are, yet you're present. You can switch seats if you don't like the person you're sitting next to. No, I'm just, don't do it. Don't do it. You're getting up, sit back down slowly. On the flight back, uh, we took Southwest, so we're coming back into Midway. And for you, have, those of you who have been on Southwest, you know that uh, you board, you have a boarding number, you don't have a seat assigned number, right? So we, and me and my father, get in line, get on the plane, and as we're walking down the aisle of the plane, um, the flight assistants say something that I've never heard anybody say to me, and I've been on a lot of flights. 
They say on the, the uh, intercom system, they say, um, uh, make sure everybody as you're getting on the plane that you spread out on the plane because we need to make sure that you balance out the weight on the plane. These are trained professionals, people. I already have a problem with heights. I already don't trust this plane that is underneath me that much. And they're telling me that my weight is the jeopardy of what's gonna keep us safe on this plane. And so this plane was light, probably a third full. And so me and my dad are kind of laughing, like, okay, we're gonna, we gotta be the weight that balances. You go on the left, I'll go on the right. We're kind of walking down the plane, kind of joking and laughing to ourselves. And there's just rows and rows of empty seats. So we find a row, we sit in the row, I'm in the window, he's in the aisle, and we're kind of chit-chatting to one another, talking a little bit. Um, just so you know, if you ever travel with Mark Job or sit next to him on a plane, he is looking to talk to a friend. My dad is, is that guy, he's, he's like, he just can make a conversation with anybody. So he's like looking, kind of, who am I, who am I going to talk for? Some people are just like, oh, I hate that. But he's like looking to have a conversation. And somebody comes down the aisle, and we're chit-chatting to ourselves, and they come and they say, excuse me, I, I'm going to sit there. They wanted to sit between us on an pretty much empty plane ride. <laughs> and I'm like, immediately, I'm like, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, excuse me, like, I need to get past you, like, I need to sit there in between you. And me and my dad look at each other, look at the rows of empty uh, just seats behind us, and I think just naturally, came, my dad told me later, I said, just naturally, it came, I said, wow, you must really want a travel buddy for, to sit right between us on this empty flight. I said, we can't wait to talk with you. <laughs> and so he, he comes, takes a seat. You know that like, just kind of like awkward moment, like what is happening right now? We're looking at each other again. He's kind of getting settled in it. And my dad says, oh no, like, like, uh, maybe you don't understand, like you don't have to sit here. And he responds in Spanish. So we go, oh, maybe he doesn't understand. So my dad speaks to him in Spanish and says, hey, just so you know, you don't have to sit here. You could, you don't have to. There's all these other seats. You can take a row and enjoy and lay out. And he just, I don't know if he doesn't really understand it or what, but he takes out his boarding pass, shows it and points to us the boarding number that's boarding space B23, and he's sitting in row 23 in seat B, thinking that's where he's supposed to be. And so then you feel bad for the guy, right? You're like, this guy doesn't understand, and this is going on. But he just did not know that he could you know, sit anywhere else. He felt like, no, sorry, I just have to sit here. So interesting flight yesterday. Let me tell you, when things like that happen, me and my dad, we're just kind of smirking about it, and then we look at each other, we're like, Sunday morning sermon illustration. <laughs> Immediately pull out our notes and start making notes, like, oh yeah, here we go, this, 
thank you, God, for something. And, and, and let me tell you a little bit what I saw from this. Let me tell you what this gentleman kind of ran into here. When you misunderstand the instructions, when you misunderstand the instructions, you end up in the wrong place. This uh, man, as nice as he was, and he wasn't doing anything with any malintent, he didn't know that he could sit anywhere on the plane. He would have easily chosen another row where he can spread out and put his legs and take up the seats next to him, but he didn't know. And because he misunderstood the instructions, he ended up in a seat that was cramped that he didn't need to be in and probably wouldn't have chosen. He ended up in the wrong place. God has given us a lot of instructions in his scripture, a lot of things about how we are supposed to live our lives. And the final instructions that Jesus gives us are in Matthew 28. Before he's, he's been crucified, he's resurrected, before he ascends into heaven, he has these final instructions for his disciples. And what I've found is a lot of times I run into Christians who misunderstand the instructions that Jesus has given to all Christians. Sometimes we misunderstand what the gospel is. Sometimes we misunderstand who is supposed to share the gospel. And sometimes we misunderstand our role in the Great Commission. And here's why this is important. For you as Christians and as followers of Christ, as we're in this together, is if we misunderstand Jesus' final instructions for us, we as Christians will end up in the wrong place. And let me tell you this the wrong place for us Christians is on the sidelines. God died on the cross for you and for me so that we can be washed and cleansed and made new creations, sons and daughters of him. But he also died on the cross to get you involved in a mission that he's given to you and I to reach the rest of the world with the message that has changed our lives. And if you don't understand the responsibility or you misunderstand it, the danger is that you as a Christian called, empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit is that you may end up on the sidelines like some Christians who kind of think, yeah, that's for more elites or that's for other Christians or that's for the more committed and misunderstand something that really is meant for us. Our church is very clear. We don't want to be a church without a purpose. We don't want to be a church without direction. And so I want you to uh, read our purpose statement. Pastor Juan preached it uh, two weeks ago. He started off by saying we are family of love. Pastor Mike preached last week about uh, cooperating with God, right? And can we give it up, by the way, for Pastor Mike and for Pastor Juan? Phenomenal, phenomenal job preaching the word and encouraging us. And so I want you to read, uh, and it may be on the screen, I want you to read it with me if it's not and repeat after me our purpose statement as a church because I want to be clear what we're about. 
Repeat after me. Our purpose is to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. We want you as a church to be very clear what our purpose is as a church. It's to be a family of love. Juan talked all about that. It's about this is more than just gathering on a Sunday morning. It's about having relationships with one another. Mike talked about last week what it's our purpose to cooperate with God. That Let me tell you, our, our world is pretty hopeless without the power of God to fall upon it. With all the intelligence and resources and eloquency of words that we can communicate things, without the Spirit of God and God's intervention, we are hopeless without God intervening and cooperating through and with His church. And today we dive into making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. And it's each and every one of our responsibility to understand this and more importantly, to live it. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' final words, verses 16 through 20. This is the NIV version. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Interesting, right? By the way, this is not the first time that they've encountered Jesus. If you look at the other Gospels, they've already encountered Jesus. Some people encounter the risen Christ and they worship him, and some encounter the risen Christ and there's doubt. And these were followers of Christ. There was still doubt. And if you look at the word, it means more like uncertain than like a, more like uncertain of what's going on than certain doubt. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that before Jesus describes the mission he defines his authority. Before he gets into the minutiae details of what he's asking us to do and requiring us to do, before he gives us the lofty task that each one of us are responsible for, he reminds us of who he is and the authority that he holds in his hands. Jesus says all not some, not partial, not limited authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the most supreme being. There have been kings that lived before, but they are not equal to Jesus. 
Jesus is not among the kings. Jesus is above the kings. Jesus is the king of all kings. And the Bible says the Lord of all lords. He is the creator of the universe. The alpha and the omega, meaning the beginning and the end. Jesus has always existed. When he was born of the Virgin Mary, that was not the start of his existence. Jesus has always existed. He's always been. And so when he was born of the Virgin Mary, it was simply a continuation of his existence, a part that he took on the flesh of humanity. But he was always deity, and he's always existed. The Jesus that is often preached in culture, touted in culture, respected or looked to in culture, is often not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a sanitized down, pocket version of God that's manageable for us to think about in our minds when Jesus is so much more, more than that. Jesus is not simply just a good teacher, a philosopher, a prophet with divine words. There was prophets before Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation. It's the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians chapter 1 says. It's God's Son being sent to show us and to make a, to make a way for us that only Jesus could make. I just want to make sure that you understand that Jesus is over all things, that Jesus is more powerful than all things, that Jesus rules over all things. And oftentimes what people are following or what people agree with when they talk to us as Christians is they're talking, to a wa they're talking about a watered-down version of what society says that Jesus is. And we as Christians need to make sure that society is not defining who the Jesus is that we follow, but it's the Bible defining the Jesus that we follow. <laughs> Colossians 1, 15 through 18 describes who Jesus is. It says the Son, or Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You worship a Jesus who holds the very fabric of the universe in his palm. The universe doesn't cease to exist without the God who holds it and sustains it in every single moment of his existence. And it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus has all authority and all power. 
And a lot of times what's talked about Jesus is a lot lower and a lot less than what the Bible has to say about Jesus. The simple fact that you as a Christian say that Jesus called himself God, I want you to know that in, and in circles that you will be in and I will be in, that will be a massively controversial statement to say that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way outside of him. Let, remember, let me remind you of something. That right there will be disputed by other people that think that their way is correct and their way is right. But either Jesus is Lord and he is who he said he is, or Jesus is a liar and he's not who he says he is. When I was living at my house with my brother Grant, my parents were gone, said, hey, we'll be back in a couple hours. I am the more clean of the two of us, let's say that. <laughs> and I deeply, deeply love Grant, deeply. But Grant is messy. And so, a clean, super clean, neat freak and somebody that's messy are going to, you know, rub shoulders. I mean, he comes in, and I, I'm not, if I'm not even at the house when I was at the house, you can tell. You literally follow the trail of his shoes that he kicked off, backpack, jacket, socks that he kicked off, and you're like, the food that he threw, it's like, okay, yeah, let me track back where you were and what you did today. And older brother syndrome over here, I would have conversations saying, hey, Grant, you know, uh, you need to clean your stuff up. You need to stop making a mess. You need to do this. You need to do that. Hey, you know, make sure you get this done before mom and dad come back. And any of you that have siblings that are younger than you know the response that you get is, well, you're not mom and dad. <laughs> and I'm like, Grant, I know. I, I know I'm not mom and dad, but like, it's messy and you need to clean this and just clean it out. It'll take two minutes of time. Just why don't you, well, you're not mom and dad. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my parent. And we get all frustrated over this. You're not my parent. You can't tell me what to do. Ultimately, what my brother was saying is, you don't have authority over me to tell me what to do. And because you don't have authority over me, I don't have to listen to you. Let me tell you this. A lot of people don't believe that they, they haven't submitted to the lordship of Jesus in their life. And if you haven't submitted to the lordship of Jesus and believe that he's your final authority that you follow, then you will compromise in areas of your life because you have not realized or submitted yourself to his authority. And when it gets hard, when it gets hard, the truth to follow Jesus, you will say, well, you know, now, well, who are you to tell me who that, who are you to say? And let me just remind you of what this verse says. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he is not just the savior of, the, of your soul, but he's also the Lord of our life. And our commitment to him in everything that we do matters and is important. And Jesus is, before he gives us the details, he's saying, listen, I want you to understand my authority. 
that I am commanding you to do something out of all authority, that I am sending you out with all authority. And Jesus' words here are also more than a command. You have to ask yourself, why is it not called the Great Command? Why is it called the Great Commission? And I appreciated a scholar, Daniel Atkin, who said, who talked a little bit about the difference between a command versus a commission. He said, a command is an authoritative order that can be positive or negative. Don't steal, uh, don't have sex before marriage, do not murder, commands. A commission is someone being sent with another's authority to fulfill a task or a mission. I want you to think of maybe a king who sends an explorer to go look at a new land. He's commissioning them out, bless, giving the blessing and authority, saying, go do this, and the resources to accomplish the mission. I want you to think of a painter or an artist who's commissioned by somebody to go create a sculpture or a painting on behalf of them. I'm sending you out from my authority, with my authority, to accomplish and do something on my behalf. That is what we have been called to. Jesus is sending you and I as followers and disciples of him with his authority to fulfill a mission. And let me say this as well. You know, when, uh, you know, every once in a while we, we would watch these films in my house or I'll go over to my parents' house and I always joke with my parents that, you know, I know enough about movies that kind of like the good movies that are out, this one made it to the theaters. I feel like we always choose these like really random indie flicks that have no actors that you know and it's like, this is going to be bad. I know this is not, no, no Leonardo in this film right here and this one's not. And so we'll put on a film every once in a while and we've had this happen a bunch of times where halfway through a film, somebody else will come into the room who's seen the film. You know where I'm going? And you're, I mean, you are bought into this. You have one tear coming down your eye. I mean, you're invested in this film. You can't wait. I mean, you're on the edge of your seat trying to figure this out. You're like, I think it's this person. And, and, and somebody comes in and they go, Oh yeah, it's a good film. This is the one where the, it was the husband that did it, right? And you thought it was the cousin, but the husband killed the wife, and then it was. And you look at them like, are you kidding me? I just invested 45 minutes of my life in this film, and you just told me the ending. And there's times where somebody will come in and, and so we, you know, you, you learn to go either, hey, spoiler alert, or hey, we'll talk about it in another room because I don't want to ruin the ending for you. But let me tell you this, in Christianity, in the Bible, spoiler alert, it, we already know the ending. So let me tell you the ending of our story. In the end, Jesus wins. In the end, Satan is bound up and thrown into the hell or the hell and then the lake of fire. In the end, we sit victorious with Christ. In the end, 
Christ stomps and, and, and overcomes all the evil and the darkness of the world, in the end, we spend eternity with Jesus in paradise. In the end, we win. And we reign with Christ as co-heirs with Christ. And, and Jesus, as he's giving the great commission here, is, is like reminding them, listen, like, before I give you them, I just want you to understand that I have all power. I am not sending you to a, to a mission that's going to be failed. It's my mission. It's my church. It's my work that I've done through Christ and I'll do through you. And we succeed and win in the end. Even if there's temporary setbacks, even if there's persecution, even if there's this or that, I want you to know that because Jesus has all power and authority, the end is written. Read Revelation. Read what Jesus has to say about the end. We don't lose. And it's because Jesus has everything under his hands and everything in his hands that we understand that the mission is ultimately Christ, but we feel ownership over it. I'll tell you this, there's times as a Christian with people around me that I, sometimes you can feel hopeless in the pursuit, like I've shared the gospel so many times, I've thrown all these seeds, I haven't seen certain change that I thought in this area that I thought I would see. But let me remind you, when you feel powerless and you feel like I can't change this person's heart, I want you to just realize that fact for a moment and sit in that and then remind yourselves, you aren't the savior. He is the one with the power and the authority to change the hearts of the people that we love and that we care about. He is the one that can soften their heart. He is the one that draws the lost to him. He is the one that by his kindness leads people to repentance. He is the one that can do the work that we cannot do. We are proclaimers of the mission. We are proclaimers of the message. We are proclaimers of what Jesus has done, but he is the one who gets the glory and the honor, and he is the one who has the power to accomplish his mission. And Jesus says, therefore, because I have all authority and power, therefore, because of that, Go, he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There are four commands here in the Great Commission. To go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. Out of those four, though, one rises. One is the epitome of what the Great Commission is talking about, and that is the word disciple, to make disciples. When you look at the original language, that is the word that rises above the other three, and it's almost like the main category and three subpoints of how to disciple underneath this to make disciples. The main focus of this Great Commission is to make disciples. And let me say this, the church, the church, us, not the building, but the people, is where disciples are made, baptized, and taught. The church. You know where people who come to Christ and make a decision to follow Jesus, you know where they grow and go to the next level in their faith? It's with the church. 
It's in small groups and mentoring. It's by gathering together and hearing the word of God. It's about getting to know one another. You know how important it is to have other believers in your life to encourage you when you feel like quitting? Do you know how important it is when you go through your darkest days of your life to have other people who are praying for you, pressing in before God, lifting your prayer request up with you? That's not just you praying, but it's another brother. It's another sister who's saying, hey, I'm in the race with you. I'm in the trenches with you. Hey, I got people I'm praying for too. Hey, I feel some of the struggle and challenge too. Hey, I don't have all the answers either. It's something about going through it with the community of faith that is non-negotiable in the scriptures. It's the opposite in the scriptures. It actually frowns upon, talks against um, um, falling out of the gathering. Not, it says, don't lose the habit of gathering and meeting with one another. You know why? You know why? Hey, I've been a Christian for 20 years. You know why I still need the church today more than I've ever needed it before? Because I'm human. Because, yeah, I read the Bible, and I hear the scriptures, and I, I spend prayer meetings. I'm pressing before the Lord, and I give, and I want to live for Jesus and everything. But you know what? I go through days where I'm, te I'm tempted. I'm tested in my faith. I'm hit by the, the schemes of the enemy. And I did me. I, when I come amongst the church again, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded I'm not in this alone. I got other people that are running the race with me, right alongside of me, who are pressing in and who, who are seeking the Lord and who want to honor the Lord with the lives that they live and the motives of their heart, not just what people see, but that private stuff. That's what I'm talking about, the private stuff. You're like, Jesus, like, I don't want to think those thoughts anymore, Lord. I don't want to live that. I don't want to do that with anything that's less than a pure motive, Jesus, because I want to give you everything. Go make disciples. A disciple, to be clear with you this morning, is a follower who submits to the teaching or the instruction of somebody. You don't just say, oh, that's good, but you say, hey, that, that's someone I want to follow. I believe in that teaching, instruction. I want to follow them and live that out in my life. Disciple and follower of Jesus. And I love that it says, make disciples of all nations. You know what? Can I say this? Before the topic of diversity was public, uh, was, was popular in our culture, the Bible proclaimed it and spoke about it in the future of the church. The gospel is open to every race and every age group and every background and every country and every corner of the world. It's not meant for one race or one age or one this or one that. And I want you to know that when you and I, our time is done here on earth, that we will be in heaven together and there will be a multitude of people that speak different languages, that are from different tribes, that have different cultures, that have different skin color shades than we do because the gospel goes out to all people of all different kinds, of all neighborhoods, to the prostitute and to the CEO. It goes out to all different people. And Revelation 7-9 says this. John's writing this of a vision that he sees of heaven in the future, and here's what he sees of the saints in heaven. He said, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a picture of the church in heaven with Christ. Worshiping together. The Savior that died for all of us. That unites us into his family. That calls us to be part and one with him and his church. And I love that this is what's echoed and proclaimed in the gospel for thousands of years. Pastor David Platt said, this is a costly command directing every Christian to go, to baptize, and to make disciples of all nations. To be a disciple is to make disciples. Let me say that again. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, is to make disciples and followers of Jesus. Scripture knows nothing of disciples who aren't making disciples. It is absolutely imperative that we as followers of Jesus do not keep the message that has changed our lives to ourselves. Listen, when I have good food, I can't wait to tell people about the good food I have. I can't wait to say, you got to try this restaurant on this street. They have this thing. You got to take this off, but this, put this on. You got, why? Because I want people to experience things that I've experienced that are good. And Jesus is the ultimate thing that changes our life. How could we hold that back from other people? Especially other people who are trapped to their vices and to their sin and have no hope without Christ. And you and I have been given the privilege and responsibility and the precious gospel to share with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, who we want to see in heaven with us, who we care about and love and want them to know Jesus. Not just another teacher, Christianity is not another religion. The early church was called the way, the people of the way, because there's not another way. It's only Jesus. And it's our job to proclaim it clearly to all. I remember meeting with a woman in Ecuador, and I was there for a mission trip, and she told me, she said, often we, meet, we lead people to Christ, we share the gospel with them, but we don't do the back end of discipleship. It's almost like she said, like we, we lead people to Christ. It's like they're newborn infants. And then it's like we, lead them, we leave them on the side of the street and say, grow. Best wishes. Hope you make it. And as crazy as we saw a mother on the, on the street corner later, if you're driving home from church to leave her newborn infant and to walk away, you should stop in your tracks. You should pull over your car and say, I cannot leave that infant on the side. I don't, well, it's not your child. No, no, no. That's my responsibility to take care of this infant. And it's the same thing in the church. As we lead people to Christ, it's not go get them, tiger. It's no. Come close to me. Help, let me help you learn how to pray because you've never prayed before. Let me help you how to read your Bible because you've never opened up a Bible before. Let, let me help teach you some of the, the, the principles and teachings of Jesus. Let, let me talk to you a little bit about Jesus. Let me invite you over to my house for a meal so you can spend time with me and see what a godly marriage looks like. 
Let me, let me invite you over to serve with me. You've never served before. You don't understand the, the benefit of serving. You've never lived a generous life because your entire life you believe that it's better to receive than to give. But let me teach you what Jesus says, and let me show you the impact of my life and how it's transformed my life to be a generous person. That happens when you come close to someone and you say, listen, I'm not just gonna lead them to Christ. I don't want them to just know Christ. I want them to grow in Christ. I want them to grow in maturity. I want them to be strong in Christ so that they can then lead others to Christ, that they could lead their husband and their wife to Christ, that they could lead a, ch a child or a coworker to Christ, that we wanna make disciples that make disciples. And as I finish here, baptizing them, once they come to Christ, we baptize them. This is the sign of death to life. Hey, listen, if there was a, a casket right here and we were at a service and, and the person just woke up, one, we should be pretty shocked. Like maybe you guys should have checked it, they were dead. We look at that and say, wow, that's, they were dead and then they were alive. You switch that with little tank that we use, it's the same image. It's somebody going into the water saying, I am dead to my old ways. I'm dead to my old life. I'm dead to my own desires. I'm dead to that. And now I live for Jesus, my Savior. And that's why we celebrate when somebody comes out of the water. It's like, it's like a ring. You know, before I married my wife, I was already deeply in love with my wife. I already was committed to my wife, and I, I, was, I was with her, and I saw a future with her, and starting a family with her, all of those things. And when I showed up there, though, I wasn't married to her yet, but I was committed and loved her. And we gave each other a symbol. We exchanged a symbol that day to say, listen, this is a symbol publicly before everyone that matters to us about the commitment that we're making to one another. That's what baptism is. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision that you're committing yourselves to someone else. And teach them to obey. Teach them to follow the teachings of Jesus, but not just to know them or recite them, but to obey them. Hey, it's one thing to be able to say, yeah, the Bible says to forgive. It's another thing to be able to live that when somebody's deeply wounded you and to obey the scripture even when it costs you something. Yeah. It's one thing to know to be generous. It's another thing to live out generosity and experience the power of God. It's one thing to know to pray. It's another thing to practice prayer and know that God hears your prayers in your car and in your house and when no one else is around you, that Jesus hears your prayers and has the power and ability to answer and give you small things and big things. So he starts with this amazing, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He gives us this go, disciple, baptize, and teach. And then, I don't know, if I, if I was there and I was listening to Jesus before he ascended, I'd be like, whoa, you, you want us to leave the whole world, the whole world to you? I mean, people with different backgrounds, religions, this, atheism, you want us to lead the whole world and share this message with the whole world? I feel a little overwhelmed. 
I feel like that's too big for me and maybe this small group of early Christians to accomplish, but listen to how Jesus finishes. He says, and surely, and surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus finishes the commission by giving us a promise. He's given us a lot to hold on to, but he's saying, this is something you can stand on. This is a promise that you can go back to when it gets difficult continuing to live for the Lord. This is a promise you can go back to when you've shared the faith and the truth with your children so many times, but they still don't want to know or accept Christ. This is a promise you come back to and you stand on. You say, Jesus, I'm going to remember that you told us 2,000 years ago before you went to go be with the Father, you told us the promise. And you told us, surely. You know, there's a lot of things that we can't be confident of in this world. We can't be confident if the markets are going to go up or down or if the real estate market's going to crash. We can't be confident of the weather that changes in but a moment and turns to rain. We can't be confident if the bears are going to win today or not. We can pray. There's a lot in this world that we can't be confident of. We don't know that we have tomorrow promised. But I'll tell you this. Out of all the things that we don't have certainty of, of all the things that we doubt, of all the things that we're afraid of, you can rest sure on this, that Jesus gives you a promise as in surely he's saying, listen, you may have people in this mission that started the walk of faith with you, but fall away. You may have people in the journey who you're walking with Jesus and they backstab you and it makes you want to quit. You may have people who, because you follow Jesus, and there's people in this church, I can name the names of people in this church who following Jesus, their family wants nothing to do with them. Cut off. The people they love and are most dear and near to their hearts say, because you're following Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. And in those moments, the promise that we hold on to in Christ is that everyone else may abandon me. They may leave me. They may betray me or backstab me. They may reject me for what I believe. But you, Jesus, said, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. His presence is not something that we hope for in a future age. It's something we build on today. Knowing that his presence is a thing that even in your darkest moments of despair, even when the enemy tries to creep into your mind and tell you to live a different life or walk a different way or what you're doing is meaningless. You're the only one living the way you are. We come back to the words of Jesus. Even though we've never seen him in physical form, we hear his words. And we stand upon his words and say, Jesus, even if everybody else forsakes me, I know that you never will. Even if everybody turns their back on me, or if I'm the one who's pushing on and living for you more than others, you told me you will never leave me or forsake me. Jesus says to the very end of the age, that means to the end of history, to the time that he returns, Jesus is here with us. 
And God told Moses, I am with you before sending him to confront the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt. God told Joshua, I am with you before sending Joshua into the promised land to conquer it for the Israelites. God told Gideon, out of all the things that God could have told Gideon, he looked at Gideon who was hiding out from the Midianites, and he looked at him and he says, I am with you, mighty warrior. I am with you. Before he sent Gideon to fight the Midianites, and he was massively outnumbered. And God tells us, I am with you always before sending his church out on the great mission to reach the world for Christ. I am with you always. Always I am with you. I will never abandon or forsake you. I have died for you. I am with you. And our God is faithful and true to that. Would you stay? Stand with me. As a church, as people of God, no matter where you are in your faith, whether it's one week into knowing Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, the highest authority has called you, has called you into his mission with the responsibility that one day you and I will stand before Jesus, before his throne, as followers of him, and have to give account for the way that we lived for his mission. We don't serve a God who's paid a cheap price for you, but he's paid the ultimate price. And as we understand that our life is short and it's here one moment and gone in the next, and none of us, no matter how young you are, know when our time is coming, let me tell you this, our time is coming. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will stand before him like I will one day. And the highest praise that we can receive is well done, good and faithful servant. And let me tell you this though, our test is now. You maybe never shared the gospel before in your life. Maybe you've never baptized somebody or led them to the waters of baptism. Maybe you've never mentored somebody or you feel like, I, I barely even know how to share the gospel. Let me tell you this. Today's the day. Today's the day to say, Jesus, this is not for other people or mature Christians or the pastor or this. This is for me. And if you were the only person in the room, I'd preach the same message to you and say, God has called this for you to hear and for you to know. 
that you would live this out and we would stand before Jesus one day knowing that we gave all that we had, our gifts that were different, our ability, our time length on earth may have been different, but that you gave your all to Jesus and his mission so that other people would know him. And so if you've never mentored somebody or led someone to baptism, maybe you've never shared your faith with somebody looking for open doors, Today, I want to challenge Christians in the room, and I'm going to invite you forward. If there's people specifically that are saying, God has spoken to me this morning through his word, and I need to commit myself to living out the mission. I need to get serious, and I need to lead someone to baptism. I need to start sharing my faith with other people that maybe I've been nervous about sharing with before. I need to get serious about it because one day Jesus will say, well, what'd you do for me? For the mission, for the kingdom, what'd you do? I, Jesus, I was just busy. I was just this and that. And I just, no, no, Jesus, I, I led people to you. I didn't have all the answers, but I pointed to you with my life. And so if that's you this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna ask you not to hesitate and not to wait, but I'm gonna ask you to step out of the aisle. I'm gonna invite you to come forward, to kneel and humble yourselves before the Lord at the front of the stage, before God Almighty himself and say, God, I am committed in a new way today to your mission, to the great commission. If that's you, I want you to come forward. Step out right now, would you? Step out of your seat and come forward. Humble yourself before the Lord. Yes. Respond to him if he's speaking to you this morning. This is not for my eyes or our eyes. This is for you and God. Say, God, today's the day that I commit myself to getting serious about making disciples. Today's the day I get serious about baptizing others and leading people in my life to you. Today's the day I get serious, serious about sharing my faith, about looking for open doors. And if you're here today, before we sing, just like in the first service, I asked, if you're here and you hear my words, and I'm talking about the mission, but you don't know Jesus himself. And today you've been hearing the word and you know that what you're hearing is true and you need to respond to it. Not tomorrow, not next week, not think about it, but you know today's the day you need to respond. I want to ask you to raise your hand and I want to see you so I can pray with you. Because if that's a decision you need to make, trust me, I would not leave the room without knowing that I am right with God. So I want you to think about it for a moment. I'm going to ask if there's anybody, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand. If today's a day that you need to make the decision to follow Jesus and say, he's my Lord. If that's you, I want you to boldly raise your hand right now. Would you raise your hand so I can see you? You're saying, Jesus, I need to make, I need to be a follower. I see you. Yep, I see you. Would you raise your hand boldly? Let me see it though. Let me see it in the air so I can pray with you. I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you in the back. Just raise your hand. I see you. As we sing this worship song and as we worship as a congregation, I wanna pray with you if that's a decision. Please 
don't leave if that's a decision you need to make today. And I'll pray with you right here. So if that's you specifically, when the worship song starts singing, would you step out of your seat and just pray with me, just privately right here, so I can pray with you for a decision that's gonna change your life. If that's you, you can come forward, and church, let's sing.